Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. I can't trust this show. And for them to tell me that everything that happened is what actually happened, I don't believe it. I have mixed feelings. As do I. Okay, who wants to say the clever thing that opens the show? I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not clever, though. I love Daniel so much. You could watch that man chew a peanut for 22 hours straight. <laughs> that would be a pretty impressive peanut if it's going to take you 22 hours straight to uh, <laughs> chew it. Hi, folks. Welcome to Zompocalypse Now. I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Dustin. And I'm Curtis. And we are discussing the latest Fear the Walking Dead episode and uh, it's um, I have some mixed feelings about this episode. As as do I. Um, I don't really know what my feelings are. I have to wait till the internet tells me. Uh, Curtis, you realize that we like are the internet, right? <laughs> if you're telling me I'm an influencer, I'm going to have to remind you that this... I need to buy new underwear. This uh, this podcast reaches fives of people. I miss the walk, Walker sexist ranger days. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I loved that was that was one of my favorite shoots. And I loved it because it was one of the first things because I was president that year. Remember of the IFC? Yeah. Uh. And that was one of the only things I actually got to participate in was the was the uh, one night stand, and to be able to do it and to be on the supergroup team with all my buddies and Dave Ferry, it was so much fun to do that. Yeah, it was. Especially miss things like that make me miss the good old days, of course, but also Dave Barry, whose name should be mentioned periodically yeah um when he asked you to be more gay yes um is is <laughs> is, is that short somewhere on the internet you know i honestly don't know we'll i think brian see. posted it somewhere i think brian, we, brian boy has it somewhere we'll have to we'll have to see if we can find it um folks if you may cast your mind back um i think dustin and i recorded an episode of this show after our friend Dave passed away. The day he died. Yeah, that's we, actually, yeah, it was the day he died. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked quite a bit about our friend and his amazing ability to be incredibly difficult. <laughs> and yet one of the... I don't see how he could do, how he could be so difficult... And so cantankerous and still have so many people just do whatever he wanted. I, I, I talked about this then. Um, and it's, it's not bad to bring back up. And interestingly enough, it, this kind of does tie into tonight's episode, um, which just clicked in my head. 
we'll shoehorn uh, that shit in. Don't worry. Oh no, I, there's 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 like a real a real thread here. Um, but Dave was one of those people who, when he liked you, he gave you all kinds of hell. And if he didn't like you, he was polite and just dismissed you. But if he cared about you doing whatever it is you cared about, whether it was music or art or, or film, mostly film in our cases, um, he would give you, he would just rake whatever you did over the coals. He would just be brutal because what he wanted you to do was make the next one better. And so he looked at whatever it is you did in his most critical eye. And Dave had one hell of a critical eye. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and people like people like that are the most the most missed when they're not there anymore. Not to mention the fact, and this is where this is where it does tie into the episode. Dave and I, one of the things that we we became friends working on the feature film I made, which no one will ever see, because it's bad. It's bad, folks. It's bad. Um, but he helped shoot it and he helped edit it. And we spent a lot of time together because we were editing this thing for a long time and we became friends and we, he taught me how to edit and we talked a lot about our lives and, and our relationships and, and both of us dealing with the various, we'd both been in therapy. We'd both been dealing with mental issues, um, depression primarily. And, and one of the things that I think that helped bond us as friends was the fact that we knew what the other, when, when the other person was talking about being depressed and dealing with depression, there was a common ground. There was a common language that was on top of the fact that we both loved making movies and we both had, you know, ambitions to tell good stories and all these sort of things. So it was this extra layer that, that kind of, uh, you know, just helped cement our friendship. Um, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people, missed if they dealt with Dave, which is if you were Dave's friend and you were in trouble, if there was something you were going through, he might give you shit about it. But when it was done, when the, when the, when he was done giving you shit about it, he'd help you. Mm. Uh, which, you know, you get a little bit of abuse and then some aid. It, I did, it, yeah, it worked with Dave. <laughs> that was one of the. That was one of the. You know, I think that's one of the things that he and I became friends because of was that we neither one of us are are. I mean, none of us are particularly, but Dave and I especially were not ones to suffer fools lightly, and and would you know? I feel like we gave each other a, a lot of shit a lot of the time because you know we were you know kind of maybe the only people that could take some of the really vicious stuff that we would say to, <laughs> to each other i remember when he called and said told to tell me that he had cancer he said uh you know he wanted to go to hawaii and like live under a volcano and grow things in the in the rich you know volcanic soil and you know grow dreadlocks and i said oh that's beautiful dave it's wonderful 
just make sure that you document it because there are so many people that are going to want to see the death of Dave Barry. And we, you know, we talked about in that, you know, about how like people kept saying to him, you're going to make it, you're going to beat this, you're going to beat this. And, you know, he thought I was probably one of the only people that he could say like, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. And I said, well, you know, people are afraid to talk about death and dying in that way. You know, like, as it's us. We we like to forget it's us. Oh, yeah. You know. Anyway, that's a lot. (laughs) But you know what? Remembering Dave is never a bad thing. No. Uh, How does it tie into this episode? I forget. So, well, uh, basically going into the mental health angle, because while we are told that there's not a physical reason for the events that Daniel is going through, and it is psychological, there's a whole lot left out. Of course, the person making the diagnosis is qualified to a point which they acknowledge i appreciate the fact that we have a doctor on a fiction tv show who is not a doctor of everything because right. most scientists and doctors on tv are multidisciplinary geniuses and well june june's not even a doctor she is a nurse right but in this universe this is one of those things like she is she's essentially a doctor she might as well be because that's as close as any of them are going to get. And, and I appreciate the fact that they, she doesn't just sit there and say, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the core of this episode is Daniel losing his memory, his sense of self. And whether it's PTSD or can't rule out Alzheimer's. Mm-mm. You can't rule out. I mean, there's a lot of different mental issues this could be because yeah, Daniel's yeah. gone through a lot. Right. He faked a serious brain injury for a long time. Well, how much of that was faking? This, and then this episode kind of kind of raises that question. I mean, there's yeah. a certain amount of of Daniel. Really interesting thing they danced around the whole episode. They talked about how Daniel lied his whole life. And they left out the other part. He didn't just lie his whole life. He murdered a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Before it was cool and fun. He was a state-sanctioned torturer. And a lot of people... Like, wasn't he one of the Sandinistas or something? I, I can't remember. I can't remember his where his uh, original place of doing they bad things have, to people. They, yeah. But, but yeah, mean, there's... There's a lot going on with Daniel. And so here's where I'm torn. I actually kind of appreciate the show doing an episode about someone having mental issues in the apocalypse and they're not a straight up crazy murder person. Mm -hmm. And The Walking Dead has a really bad track record. Of or good track record, I guess, depending on your point of view. Every time a really crazy person shows up on this, they're straight up murder crazy. Right. And, you know, I think that 
that this is a good way to, you know, because to bring in to, you know, the fact that he's probably got really intense PTSD and, and all. But let's let's back up and actually talk about the episode because mm-hmm. I have I have issues with a couple of things that happen in this episode. And I also have issues that we could talk about with this, this, his diagnosis of maybe whatever. So we start with Daniel sitting in a, a room and he says three words uh, in, in sequence. And they are words that I have completely forgotten, even though we just watched the episode and they said them in twice, twice in the episode just literally 20 minutes ago we watched it uh i have completely forgot it so take 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 that with whatever that says about me where are the weapons uh, dustin where I, are the weapons dustin i don't know i don't even know where my children are so um they've got the weapons this is not right. how parenting works dustin and essentially it's it's daniel saying like I was optimistic about the way things were going to go. This is not how I expected life to go today. And, uh, and it turns out that it has been uh, weeks, months, days. It, it's so hard to say. Sometime. Uh, an amount of time, hours maybe even, since Virginia was killed. And uh, I guess Strand took over part of her world and then the mask people are out there doing their own thing and june uh, is off doing her own thing at her own little community i'm guessing she probably went to go set up that hospital she wanted but we don't know that i'm just guessing uh and they're all coming back together for the first time in fill in the blank amount of time to discuss their unknown enemy which Virginia wanted Strand to build an army to combat and they've been leaving the weird spray paint signs all over all over north northwest Texas the uh, the guys with the other key yes to to shoot the nuclear thing on the submarine Right. Maybe we 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 think that's that's the case, but we, I don't know if we're a hundred percent positive if that's the case. Mm. Well, it sucks that they're going to have to dig up what's her name and get that key off of her because that was the key that she they need. <laughs> so, so Strand and June and and Dwight's wife, honey, and uh, and they all show up to have like a meeting about these people. And uh, Lucia reminds everyone that these people blew up tank town where she was refining oil into gasoline from the inside. They infiltrated her group and did that without anyone noticing. And so it's possible that there are spies on the inside right now that nobody knows are spies. Oh, I forgot the part where Morgan, uh, where Grace had a, uh, 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 hic- Grace had hiccups and uh, so even though women have been having babies for millions of years without medical technology Morgan decides that he has to run out to where he was setting up a place for her and get the ultrasound machine that he had 
to see if she was in labor or not. And otherwise is, known as getting Morgan out of the picture for a little right. bit of the episode. Right. That's one of the issues that I had with it. It's like, like I, I seriously like Grace would not allow that. I don't think. I think she would just be like, you know, women have been having babies for millions of years and I can do this and you know modern technology be damned because that's the way it's going to have to be frankly well, even even going after the machine the question is is why did it have to be morgan i mean because well, he knew where the place was he was out of the way off the beaten yeah, path so there's this thing called directions and you well, give and, them to people and, and you say, turn right at the rock and left at the tree. It's not convenient and for this the plot. Is, this is also an issue that I had because I honestly uh, don't remember if he, if we saw him setting up a place to take Grace. We, we have not. But again, we have our unspecified period of time. No, but he said it was something that he did before he knew about the valley and the... the unspecified so, periods of time. There's I really hate that when when a uh well say for instance a novelist for example will write themselves into a corner and then all of the sudden their horse can talk and fly out of fucking nowhere. Right. Wait, I'm not horses, saying that happened in the book I'm working fly? on. It did happen. Yeah, that shit happened. I thought all horses could fly. Me too. I don't care. See, but the thing is, we've created a problem that needs a solution. Why do we have to? Uh, why do we have to invent things out of convenience? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It, it, that's it can drive the do. plot forward in the way you want it to drive it forward, which is what they do. I mean, but I think that I mean, I, I'm God. I just hope. Oh, hang on. Ah. I just hope that there was someone in the writing room who was like, uh, can maybe the radio be out and Morgan have to go get June instead of going to a random place to do a random thing and they both show up at the same time? Okay, so that would be the that would actually be the problem with a good explanation because then he could send someone else. So as long as you make it a thing where only Morgan can do it, no matter how ridiculous or how unlikely, and I'll go with unlikely in this case, it's not super ridiculous, but it just, it's there to get Morgan out of the way so that you can have Daniel be in charge and therefore be in the position when all the things happen that we have a case of an unreliable narrator. And in this case, it just happens to work because, um, well, because Morgan enjoys his time on the cross. Mm -hmm. He's always martyring himself. This is all my fault. I did it all. I'm responsible. Yeah. You know, get over it, Morgan. Yeah, no shit. Just relax. <laughs> so, Go get um, the baby thing and come back. And let's try not to make a big deal out of it. So Morgan goes to get the baby thing and he leaves uh, Daniel in charge to get the meeting started. And I don't understand the point of that personally, but I'm not going to get into that. Like, why not wait? He's going to be gone for half a day. So, so the meeting starts and everybody starts accusing each other of being the spy. And it's like, okay, 
it's not going to be one of these people. It might be that guy with the beard, the bald beardo, and it might be the guy with the dreadlocks, but it's probably not going to be. No, I don't think so. Uh, and so everybody's like suspicious of everybody and they act like nothing. Oh, they all act like they don't have any history together in this moment, which is one of the things that I had an issue with as well, because if anything, I would think that, that the people that had been working together for the, for the longest amount of time, the people we've been following for the last three years of this show would band together and be like, well, it's obviously not what, you know, like we trust each other. And, you know, I don't know. So, so everybody's fighting and then there's a explosion. Kaboom. The explosion was the thing I'm having trouble with. Oh, tell us about it, stud. <laughs> well, I suppose maybe Daniel knows how to set up a stick of dynamite to go off at a sir after a certain interval. But it just seems to me like in the show they said, well, they would have needed help for that. And I think, you know, that would might have taken two people to pull off. Well, but also remember Daniel had an original explanation for that. Yeah. That they had been using the dynamite to, to to do some construction and you know that there's you know something must have fallen off the hillside and hit it and exploded it. So I, I think that part of the problem is, is that your general conception of how dynamite works through pop culture of nothing else is you'll light a fuse and you throw it. Um or, or you run away really fast. But there are different ways for dynamite to go off. Uh, there's different ways to rig it to explode. It just seems like a very kind of a rock fell and hit the dynamite and it went boom. And you're like, that's not how dynamite works. Well, that's how old timey dynamite used to work when it was sweat nitroglycerin. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty dangerous if it was old, you know. It is it is the old west and the zompocalypse on this I show. would just I just wanted someone to hold up a little bundle of like six or seven sticks of dynamite taped together like an old timey Everyone gets six. Like we're about to rob this train and we're going to use this here. <laughs> so I guess whatever. I a stick of dynamite went off. It's very confusing to me. There, there's so much good about this episode, and there's little things like that that's like, what are you doing? Well, while you were doing that, I was actually looking at nitro, uh, nitroglycerin and dynamite. Excellent. And as it happens, having reviewed the Wikipedia entry for dynamite, it turns out that dynamite has a good shelf life above about a year before it starts leaking essentially, as before we start sweating the nitroglycerin, before it becomes susceptible to being thumped upon and becoming <laughs> being unstable. So this is not, a, while this seems a little bit contrived, it's not out of the question. It is, I, and I quote, dynamite is moderately sensitive to shock. In other <laughs> words, don't sneak up on the dynamite and tap it on the shoulder, all right? It doesn't no like you, it's scared of you. Yeah, that's right. 
So that and I I thought it was like, you know, which even would have made it would have been okay in this series, even if that shelf life was like 20 years, because they could have found that somewhere. Well, but it it, it makes even more sense in the fact that we have a world where new dynamite is not being manufactured. Right. And we're 10 years into the apocalypse, and I got news, folks. Uh, Dynamite's going to be real dodgy after 10 years if after a year it's starting to go bad uh, or getting more dangerous. But I just, there's something about the fact that it's really important. I think we're being told this story by Daniel. And there's a certain amount of the unreliable narrator happening here, too. So him describing exactly how things are going down is Daniel's memory yeah. of how things are going down. I think that's an important I think that's an important point to raise, especially as we kind of bitch about some of these plot points. It's it's we're having to rely on something other than an omniscient point of view. Well, you and know. we're relying on a point of view of someone who, as the episode proceeds, his point of view is questionable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. I I feel like they were afraid of of diagnosing Daniel with a degenerative dementia that someone his age would begin to show symptoms of. I wish, and and a part of me understands that, like you don't want to give a character like Daniel Alzheimer's, you know, or sundowners or whatever, but at the same time, I think that that would have been as interesting, if not more interesting, than somebody struggling with, you know, PTSD in a way that makes them disassociate, which is what we ultimately find out, or what we ultimately think Daniel's is going on with him. I think you could do a story about someone struggling with Alzheimer's in the zombie apocalypse and what that would mean, but not on this show. It is, it is not unreasonable to put anyone in a dissociative state, given what people have to go through, I think. Right. See, that's, that's part of what, that's part of what I mean. Yeah. Like, like it is, it is, I think the simpler answer to say, you know, Oh, he's, you know, having really bad PTSD. Well, no duh, motherfucker. We're all having really serious PTSD. We've been living in the zombie apocalypse for 10 years. But he, uh, but on top of all of everything that everyone else has already dealt with that survived, he also has this past. Right. I think there's, a, there's an unwritten kind of rule here in post-apocalyptic fiction. That if you have, if you're murderously unbalanced, if you're the kind of crazy person who rises to power and puts on a weird hat and builds a compound, you know, you're, there's a place for you in the zombie apocalypse. If you're the kind of person who is, can, can work your way through the trauma and somehow hold on and keep your mind together, you too can be the hero of a zombie apocalypse show. But everybody else, all the people with serious mental illnesses, um, I mean, clearly, you know, if if you are in a wheelchair, your odds of survival are significantly reduced 
in the zombie apocalypse. There are <laughs> physical conditions and mental conditions that are going to make you much more likely to not survive the first year. I can guarantee you there ain't a single diabetic on this right. in this world right now. Diabetes has been cured. Well, and, and I think that if you're going to get, you know. Well, and it, yeah, they, they addressed that in season three of, of Walking Dead. Remember? That no. was our, that, uh, that was our intro. No, it wasn't three, it might have been season four. That was our introdu- introduction to Negan was Dwight and his wife and their and his wife's sister had stolen a bunch of insulin because the sister was diabetic and were trying to escape from the saviors with her di- with her insulin or okay. or something like that that sounds I, right something yeah. like that yeah so yeah i think that there's I mean, Alzheimer's is a thing that's, you know, it's going to come to you or it's not. It's the dealing with a character who is having that kind of mental um, disintegration, you know, whether it's, you know, my, my grandmother developed dementia in the latter part of her life. And um, it was, I mean, it, it was pretty much textbook, you know, it was, she'd forget things you'd have the same conversation with her two or three times. Uh, and it was just, you know, it was, it was tragic and heartbreaking to see. This is not that kind of show. This is not a show that's going to dedicate two or three episodes to showing what it really looks like in this world to have that happen to you. They're going to do it in, in an hour and that's going to not be enough. Right. And so I think that this is, in some respects, having it be PTSD, which, again, of all these characters, Daniel's got history. Right. And he, Reuben Blades, is just so much fun to watch. From the time he came on to this show, and we knew that Daniel was kind of terrifying he's just been one of the best characters of the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even at his most psychotic, murderous state, um, this little roundish man who just looks at you and you go, yeah, pretty sure he's going to kill me now. And there's <laughs> nothing I can do about it. Um you know, there's, there's, he's riveting on screen and to do this to this character, if they, eh, if you're going to tell this kind of story with this cast, Daniel's an excellent choice for it because he's got, he's got that gravitas, but he also, the thought of Daniel losing his mind, whether it's PTSD or Alzheimer's or anything is scary because he's dangerous yeah. So okay, so uh, there was explosion, and and so the, that attracts walkers, and so they run to the the weapons closet to get the weapons, and all the weapons are gone, which leads to a very like you know who done it moment of like who stole the weapons, 
And Daniel accuses Strand and, and endangers the entire camp by opening up a wall and letting walkers in so that he can prove who, to see who has a weapon. And of course, Strand had a weapon. Ain't Strand never going to give you all his weapons, Daniel. So Strand is just like, all right, you stole them all. Where are they? And Daniel or Strand's like, I didn't. I did not take all the weapons. I promise you, I didn't do it. Like, we've been through this before, Daniel. Like, you know, I would have, this is one of the things that I dislike, again, about this episode, is of all of the characters who have all of this history together, no one has more history than Strand and Daniel, except for Strand, Alicia, and Daniel. And Alicia not there. So it's like I would I would think even at this point, after all they've been through together, if Strand was like, I didn't take the weapons, Daniel would be like, Fair enough. You did not. <laughs> Daniel's style of interrogation is a little more in-depth than that, though. He he plays the long game. He knows that people are going people who are guilty are going to lie and lie for as long as they possibly can. And Strand so, is a great liar. I understand all of that. I just think that I just think that the Trump card for not having this particular conflict between these two particular characters is the history. Like, I just don't, I just don't see this. I just, I just don't see this. I don't think this is the way they should have gone. I think you're right. And I think that, and I don't know if this was intended because I, 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 it's clicking now, but it didn't necessarily at the time I watched it. So I'm not sure how this is much, you know, you saying that and me thinking about, okay, but what about, and that's, if Daniel is not actually remembering things properly, if he's starting to lose, not being able to trust himself, tr- losing trust in Strand would be something that would happen very easily, I think. Mm. But like I said, that that did not register with me when I watched it. So that's, you know, I'm, I could just be going, aha, but what about this? But, you know. Right. I just wanted Strand to stop the interrogation and go, Hold on a second, Daniel. I'd like to say a few words about Aquafresh toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, so Daniel uh, hits Strand with a particularly disturbing little sequence where he talks about, you know, you know, getting shot in the face. Because Strand, you know, shot Daniel in the face. And he's basically threatening strand with the same thing. And he goes, you know, right. it's, it's not you know, here. Here's what it's like. Would you like to know what it's like? Let me tell you what it's like. <laughs> and he just bring you know, the pain, the fact, you know, you're, it always hurts when you drink it. You know, you have to soup is pretty much the only option available. He pulls out an insert that he has in his cheek to make his face actually be the more or less the shape it was before. Um, and I like that. I, there's that. There's that scene in the Bond movie. Oh right, where the guy pulls Javier out Javier Bardem. Yeah, he pulls out like half his his the side of his face 
um, you know, it's a, it's a really elaborate insert. It's a, it's a piece of, you know, built structure for the inside of his head so that he can, you know, have a jawline and, and, and cheekbones. This is not something that well-crafted. It looks, like a, it looks like a piece of plastic he's shaped and put into his cheek. Yeah. It's nothing, it's nothing fancy. No. He, didn't, he didn't find a post-apocalyptic dentist anywhere to help him out with this. It's really kind of creepy in a very subtle way. Right, right, right. And, you know, this, this confrontation that they have about this and is very tense. And it ends with Daniel essentially about to shoot Strand right in the face. And then all of a sudden they hear a bunch of uh, machine gun fire and they go out or Daniel goes out and discovers that, that Morgan has, has returned with, uh, the Calvary and they killed all the walkers and everything is fine now. That's the end of the episode. Goodbye. No, that's not how the episode ends. What? But wait, there's more. If you call now, you can receive but absolutely no extra cross. Drama. <laughs> and free Aqua Fresh. <laughs> yeah, because quite frankly, um, Morgan went looking for a thing for Grace, but Grace ain't nowhere around, and they discover that she's not where Daniel was supposed to have sent her for safety? Yes. And when they finally find her, uh, she's like, he's like, why didn't you go to the fishing shack where I told you to go? And, and, and she's like, fishing shack? You told me to go to some caves. And she, he's like, no, no, I, why would I send you to the caves? We haven't even explored the caves yet. We don't know what's, what's happening in those caves. And, and Charlie is with her because he sent her, he sent her too. And she's like, you sent us to the caves. And Grace even pulls out a map and shows that, yes, it was the caves were marked. That's where we need should, we should go. And that confuses Daniel a lot. And what really confuses Daniel is when they get back to the community and discover that all of the weapons that he's been looking for all, all episode are in his personal shed. And it's like, he's like, I have no idea how he's got here. I didn't do this. And at first he tries to uh, say like that he's being framed that whoever's working with Strand has framed him. But it's become clear at this point that he also does not necessarily know or what is going on exactly. And we actually get a scene here which The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead doesn't always get the really quiet moments right. But there's like three sentences between Morgan and Daniel at this point, or Morgan's like, are you okay? And Daniel's like, I don't know. And Morgan's like, okay, okay, we'll get this. We'll, we'll, we'll work this out. It's a really effective, quiet moment. Oh, it really was. It really was. And I thought, man, Whoever is gaslighting this dude is killing it right now. <laughs> because I don't trust this show to show me what's really happening ever. Unfortunately, it was Daniel who was doing the gaslighting. 
<laughs> yep, Daniel so. gaslit himself. And June, has, who has arrived to help with Grace, uh, gives him some cognitive tests. And as we have discussed already, it turns out that he is probably suffering from a post-traumatic stress, uh, mainly because this is the first time he's actually been able to sit around and process it. And that post-traumatic stress is making him disassociate, which means that he is doing things and not remembering them or not remembering them correctly because he doesn't remember the guns taking the guns out of the out of the storage at all and moving them and he did that and he doesn't remember sending grace to the caves he remembers her sending her to a fishing shed and, and so now we know and when you think about it this is uh, Daniel is a dangerous person. He is, and one of the things that have made has made Daniel very engaging from the beginning is that Daniel is a bit of a monster, and he's aware of it, and he keep he he hides it very well, and then when he lets it out, he's very scary. But he's an extremely efficient and dangerous individual. This is not the kind of person you want forgetting things or remembering things in a different way than what actually happened. Because like he says, the last time he was really struggling mentally, he burned a place down. Which he did in season two. And it was great. It was glorious. It was the first time we thought he died. Right. That was our first. Oh, and then Daniel died. No, Daniel actually did not die. He just burned a motherfucker to the ground. <laughs> um, so at the end of the episode, Daniel decides to leave. Uh, and Charlie's like, where will you go? What will you do? And, and he's like, I'll go to, I'm just going to go back to the warehouse where I was living before. I will walk the earth. Like Kung Fu. Yeah. And uh, and she's like, no, that's a terrible idea. And Strand is like, yes, that indeed is a terrible idea. Come back to Lawton with us and we will help you. We will find a way to help you. And uh, And they all leave together. And I really, really liked that. I liked that Strand was willing to use his connection with Daniel and willing to want to help him even after all of this. And then we watched the like behind the scenes thing and it ruined it all for me. Yeah. Because the, I don't like the behind the scenes thing after the little, the little doofusy writer was like, now the shoes on the other foot and strand can essentially put Daniel in a cage. And that's what he really wanted. And I was like, no, I don't want Strand to want that. That's bad. That's a bad want. Well, you know, there's this thing called the death of the artist, right? So when, when the artist puts the work out into the world, it doesn't matter what the intent of the artist was. It's how you interpret it. Yeah. Now, there's a whole long argument you can make about whether or not death of the artist is a thing. And you can, there's, there's all kinds of stabby opportunities here. We can, we can get into a throwdown evil fight, but we're not gonna, because in this case, the writer's wrong. 
Except for next time we see Daniel, he's locked in some cage somewhere in Lawton. That's going to real suck. Because, you know, TV writers don't just say shit. They don't, you can't death of an author, a TV writer, because the, 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 the it's an episodic thing. And we're going to see his intention sooner rather than later, probably. Next time see, we I have. Just, I, just, I just don't know that's what, what's going to happen. And I don't care what the writer said. Um, because we also have that scene where Daniel and Strand are facing against each other and, and Strand is in the cell. And Strand says, Daniel, please forgive me. And he's all but begging him at that, or as close as you're going to get to Strand actually begging. And I think that uh, Strand says, I said what I said when Morgan says, I'm going to hold you to this. And Strand says, you don't have to. I said what I said. And I think that even if what we get to see Daniel is in looks like a cage it'll look like a cage the way the cell that he was in that apparently he just walked out of at the end now admittedly pretty sure that daniel could pick a a cell door with yeah i'm sure that he put himself there for his for the safety of himself right but i mean you know i just i just don't i don't see and, and, and maybe this comes back to you know what you said about the dynamic between these two men i just don't see strand not really wanting daniel to be better he knows how valuable daniel is strand is nothing else if not practical yeah that's true that's why i hated that little thing that the guy said so folks ignore any post show explanations from the writing staff listen to us we know better (laughs) we do (laughs) we're smarter than all of them jerks yeah why would you do that to yourself because now i i don't have that how is the show fucking with me this week feeling because the writer just explained that everything that i saw was real so fuck that guy but but that's not what we saw we really did see Daniel telling June what happened. Yeah. And we know that Daniel is an unreliable narrator. Daniel was an unreliable narrator the first time we met him. He has not gotten any more reliable, even when he's being brutally honest. He was just cutting hair. No big deal. Just Mm. cutting hair. So, so... I personally, if I were to, if I were to, like, average it out, I think I would give this episode a sixty-five, a grade of a sixty-five out of a hundred. That's a D. Yeah, it was. It was, or maybe a seven. Let's okay. I'll bump. Them. I'll give them some extra credit. Seventy-two. <laughs> okay. The, of the three episodes we have seen have come back to, this would be my favorite of the three. So far. Okay, I would agree with that. I think, and and I would give it a higher score. I think it's got some problems, but I'd probably put it up in low 80s, 
B minus, let's say um, there's, there's, and some of it is, you know, we've got a really strong performance at the core of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to forgive a certain amount of, of story shenanigans. If Ruben blades is sitting there going, let me tell you a story. <laughs> yes please is it about how you murdered people i want it to be about how you murdered people it might be about if i murdered people we'll, we'll get to that in a minute i'm sure <laughs> um i just yeah and i think that when when this when this show focuses on our core characters or even our og characters it's better than when it tries to spend you know an hour, you know, following Morgan's moral crisis. Uh, not that, you know, Morgan isn't great, but, you know. Morgan is great. Morgan is great. And he's more like Kung Fu than, than Daniel. Morgan think, is Kung Fu. I'd like to think that we're past, he said optimistically, I'd like to think that we're past the moral quandarings of... of Literally all of last episode was Morgan wandering around in a moral quandary about what to do with Virginia. I know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'd like to think we're past that. Or not. I like that Morgan's struggle is all about maintaining that sense of humanity, that sense of moralness. And, uh, And that's what's fun to watch him fight against. Um, and yet Daniel does the same thing. It just Daniel does do the same thing, but um, it's, only, it's it's different though. Somehow, well, because he actually comes from a place of of you know he was he was a trained killer. He was that was his job. He was a murderer for hire, uh, and and then he was pretending to not be that, and then the world changed, and the he's got a. He's got a certain set of skills that, uh, you know. <laughs> there's, there's Every time he thinks of, he's out, they draw him back in. There's a version of Taken I want to see, which is Reuben Blades playing the part because, you know, he's not he's not the big chiseled jaw Liam Neeson type. He's a, you know, little roundish guy who's, who looks harmless until he burns down your world. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. There's, there's. While his struggle, his moral struggle, is a different kind of moral struggle than than Morgan's. He, Daniel doesn't. Daniel doesn't want to necessarily kill people. He just happens to be really good at it, and it doesn't bother him all that much. You know, yeah. He's not really struggling with the I had to kill people part of his life. I think I'm going to give it an 82. A little B minus. Okay. Yeah. So two B minuses and I enjoyed it. I was it was pretty compelling. And once I figured out that that we were dealing with a, a psychological issue of his, then I got really engaged because I wanted to see how they would stitch that together that's something that i like to play with and stuff that i write that nobody ever sees or reads um but it was 
I thought they did an adequate job of misdirection there. Well, and not to mention the fact, and we've talked about this before here, fiction and mental illness often do not go well together. <laughs> they do often miss the mark, don't they? they there's a, there's a, and it's, it's storytelling. It's, it's storytelling 101. You've only got so long to tell a story. Therefore you do thing in shorthand and shorthand for mental illness is dot, dot, dot. Right. And this means that a lot of times you have really, really bad examples of mental illness, you know, and mental, mentally ill people as murderers or as, you know, dangers to other people in ways when most mental people struggling with mental illness are more dangerous to themselves than anyone else. Um, and so, but there's, there's a subtlety to portrayals of mental illness in fiction, which is often not there. I am quite entertained by the movie silver linings playbook. It's cute. It's sweet, but nobody's mental illnesses fit together like that. <laughs> All right. These are two damaged people who need to be in therapy and not in a relationship with each other. Cause it's going to end badly. 30 seconds after the camera stopped rolling, one of them had a breakdown. It's sweet and cute, but. So I, I appreciated the fact that there was some subtlety to this. And it didn't, they handled it pretty well. I was pleased with that. Yeah. Well, there we go. We did it. Yeah. I'm not feeling particularly feisty about it. So I feel like that's a win. <laughs> I don't actively hate this episode. <laughs> therefore. Sometimes, oh, sometimes they just hit me right in the bad crawl. I, I understand. We are, we are, are, ex are our expectations for the Walking Dead universe that low that when we're like, well, we get to hate it. It's like the best review of the season. Well, we still watch this show after season two of The Walking Dead. True. I'm not sure we actually have an expectations that can be low after season two. Because they <laughs> never went and looked for the little girl in the woods. They never did. They talked about it for a bazillion episodes. And she was in the barn the whole time. These are terrible people. All right. Well, that is it for this particular episode, looking at Fear of the Walking Dead. We have three more episodes in this season uh, coming up here. And I'm sure there'll be all kinds of interesting things. What with the new threat and new settlements and all the things that are going on in this second half of season six of fear of the walking dead we hope that you've enjoyed listening to us we'll puzzle this over in our own minds you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter you can leave us a comment you can leave us a rating these of course help people find the show and make our listenership grow from from fives to, to maybe sevens uh, we'll break twelves we'll see uh, but uh uh, we would appreciate, you know, if you, again, and, and if you enjoyed this episode or didn't like it or felt that we're, how we're looking at Daniel's character is completely off, let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys. You know, this is, we do this because we enjoy it. We do this because we like hanging out with each other and talking about TV and movies and, 
and we hope that you're enjoying it as well. But it, we would definitely love to hear from you guys if you have something you want to contribute. That'd be, that'd be great. We'll do this again. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. And please enjoy the freshest breath of the apocalypse with Aqua Fresh. Apocalyptic <laughs> this is, toothpaste. This is, this is how you conquer the post-apocalyptic world. You sit there and go, if you follow me, I will let you have this large bottle of mouthwash. <laughs> Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. I, I don't have a, a, play, a brand to plug. <laughs> Not even Doritos? Yeah, eat Doritos. They're delicious. <laughs> Okay, folks, there you go. We are getting no endorsement money from either of these companies. Although, hey, guys, you know, toothpaste and chip endorsements, we're happy to do those here. We have no shame. Yes. Yes, we don't. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll see you on our next Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.